Let's take our Bibles tonight and turn to Philippians chapter number three. Philippians chapter three, while you're finding your place there, sure is good to have Brother Ben Valdez here. Brother Ben, just raise your hand in the back. Serving our country uh, down in Florida. And uh, sure glad he could be here. He's here this past weekend, here for just about a week. And sure thankful uh, for each and every one of our, the, those who serve our country. We pray for them on a regular basis in the men's prayer meeting. And we ought to be grateful uh, to God for uh, Brother Ben and others like him that are serving. Okay, so uh, Philippians chapter number three, as we get back into our series here in the, in the book of Philippians. And uh, just praying about uh, this, the passage and service and thinking about Friend Day. I mean, obviously Friend Day, I think, is on all of our minds as we're getting ready for that. And uh, looking forward to what God's going to do. And the passage, I think, does lend itself to that opportunity. So we're going to be in uh, Philippians chapter 3. Just looked up and saw the Hickmans as well, Brother Hickman and his family. Sure glad to have uh, Brother Hickman. He pastors down in Electra. Electra, right? Texas. And uh, sure glad to have them here as well tonight. So many preachers here, I'm wondering why am I preaching? I need to let somebody else preach. That's uh, good. Good to have these gentlemen here. Okay, uh, Philippians chapter 3, verse 1, finally. But you know how preachers are when they say finally, they go for a good little while. So that's what is about to happen right here. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. There's the solution. Now what's the problem, right? Rejoice in the Lord, really. Whatever it is that you're facing, if you'll rejoice in the Lord, then you'll find the solution right there. Rejoice in the Lord, he says. To write the same things to you, to me indeed, is not grievous, but for you, please notice this, but for you, it is safe. All right, so he says, for you, it's important. It is safe, rather, for me to write this unto you, even though we've covered it again. And here's Here's what he says. He says, beware of dogs. That's not just advice for those going out on visitation, though that's good advice. Uh, there's a context here as he says, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. So he says, three, beware three times. That indicates we better take note of what he's saying right here. Paul is sounding the alarm, right? Beware, beware. Beware, for we are, for we are the circumcision, which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh. You see what he's saying right there? It's like, he, it's like in our common vernacular, it'd be this way. Okay, if you really want to go there. Right? You ever say that? If, if, well, maybe you don't. I mean, you'd have a... Anyways. I might have confidence in the flesh. If any other man thinketh that he hath whereof, he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised. The eighth day. Of the stock of Israel. Of the tribe of Benjamin. And Hebrew... Of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But, verse 7, But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. 
Yea, doubtless, I and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. And we'll, we'll stop right there, but I'm telling you, we are on a mountain peak. We are on a mountaintop, especially, uh, you know, verses 7, 8, 9, 10, and so forth. It's, it's awesome. It really is. So our series, Countered by Joy, here's the title tonight. The Fatal Miscalculation of Those Who Trust the Flesh. The Fatal Miscalculation. The Fatal, you ever add things up and mess up? That's why you got a phone, right? And do it on the calculator. The Fatal Miscalculation. The Fatal Miscalculation of Those Who Trust the flesh. When you add it all up, it still equals zero. When you add it all up, it still equals zero. What? What does? Well, that's what we're going to get into. When you add it all up, it still equals zero. May God bless the reading of his word. As you're seated, we're going to jump right into it and, and uh, cover these verses here, God willing, tonight. <clears throat> when we're because his study of this chapter... Uh, learning to count, learning to count. Uh, Paul was counting his own righteousness. And he is saying here by personal testimony, we'll get, we'll get to the reason why he said it, but he was overestimating uh, his heritage and overestimating his religious deeds. And I think today many people do that. Um, in fact, listen to what he said, what Warren Wiersbe said. He said, like most religious people today, Paul had enough morality to keep him out of trouble, but not enough righteousness to get him to heaven. He had enough morality to keep him out of trouble, but not enough righteousness to get him into heaven. He had, listen to this, he had to lose his religion to find salvation. He had to lose his religion to find salvation. There are many people living right here around Southwest Baptist Church who may be very religious but lost. Religious but lost. There are many people certainly living in the, in the United States of America that are religious but lost. Of course, living in our world who are religious but lost. And here, here's the problem. They think they're okay. They think they're okay. And we'll get into some of the reasons as to why. They think they're okay. Some think they're okay. They just don't like to think about the reality of eternity. And so they think that they're okay. So we're in danger, though, as well. Not, of course, of, of losing salvation. That's a settled matter. But, um, in fact, uh, when you first glance at this, you think, okay, well, that's a good salvation passage. I mean, that, that deals with why, why we don't, why we don't teach, why we don't believe, why we don't preach a works-based salvation. Because there's no works-based salvation in the Bible. It's only salvation by grace through faith. 
Now we know that and we preach that and that's the reason we're having a friend day because somebody might be mixed up about that and think that, well, if I, if I have tried hard or if I've got a good membership or I've got good standing or, hey, I was born in America, I'm okay. No, that doesn't make you a Christian. And so there can be some misconceived ideas. There can be some miscalculations. And so I'm preaching to us tonight about the, the fatal miscalculation of those who have confidence in the flesh. But I want to remind you tonight that this text is, writ is written not to unbelievers, but to believers. Okay, so you might say, well, how did this apply to us? Because at first glance, you might say, well, I'm not a Pharisee. I wasn't, I wasn't uh, you know, uh, born of the tribe of Benjamin. I mean, I, I've never even put any kind of stock in that at all. But there's something that's underlying this passage here that actually is common to all of us at various times in our life. Uh, one man, John Walvoord said this, he said, the problem with the Judaizers, so I might use the terminology Judaizers here tonight just for the sake of, of ease, just uh, this would be those who were legalists. Legalists are those who say you have to keep the law in order to be saved, okay? Legalism, works-based salvation. Uh, Judaizers, those uh, emphasizing this, you've, you've got to abide by the Jewish law, the, all the feasts, all the uh, dietary laws, all that's in the Old Testament. That would be the Judaizers, okay? So if I use that term, then everybody understands what I'm talking about now, right? Okay. So he says the problem of the Judaizers was partly theological and partly practical. They had reduced the Christian life to a set of rules and neglected the heart of the matter. All right, now we're going to come back to that idea here in just a moment. Let's just walk through the text. I think it'll help us as we get into it here tonight. And as Paul says, finally, and, 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 it's, and again, it's not like he's coming to the end of, of the epistle because there is much more. But what's happening here is it is a transition and he's getting into um, some of the matters that were on their hearts and that they were concerned about. So he says, finally, let's, let's talk about some of the things we haven't covered yet. Now, up to this point, he's been covering how that there was strife in the church. In fact, it could be one of the reasons at least as to why there was strife in the church is there could have been some that thought they were more righteous than others. And that'll sure stir up problems at a church. You know, when there's an elite group that is looking down on others, that they're not as spiritual as we are because we keep the law or we, uh, we observe these feast days. I'm not saying that's exactly what was going on, but that sure would generate some strife right here, for sure. So anyways, uh, he's saying, finally, let's get to some of these matters here. And, and so he's addressing some of these problems. And, and so they were having problems with some, listen, who were trying to convince them that to be accepted with God you had to identify with the Jews and keep the law. That's what they were saying. They were saying, you, if you're going to be accepted with God, then you've got to be, uh, you've got to identify with the Jews and you've got to keep the law. Well, they were Gentiles. How could they do that? Now, there was, there was something appealing about this. And now, everywhere Paul went, I mean, you think about it, the book of Galatians, the book of Colossians, the book of Romans, I mean, virtually every Every epistle is dealing with this, okay? Uh, the book of Acts, I mean, so much of it has to do with this very topic. So 
you say, well, I, I realize that, but I don't struggle with that. But there's something, again, that's underlying this that you and I do struggle with, and we're working our way, our way there. But there was something appealing because, uh, think about it this way. Here was God's ancient people, Israel. And you had opportunity, even as a Gentile, to kind of get in with the Jewish people, the, the people of God. And even today, there's, a, there's an appeal, as you see sometimes Christians, that maybe even in Baptist churches like this, that begin to hear people, you know, speak, and, and then they get to maybe even learn a little bit of Hebrew, and they think just because they can do a strong guttural that they're somehow more spiritual than others, you know? You know what I'm talking about? As you, they would... Uh, some Hebrew. Yeah, I mean, you got to have a good cold to speak some good Hebrew, don't you know? And so they would, they would kind of get to thinking, you know, I'm no longer going to say Jesus. I'm saying Yeshua. And, and I'm not saying Messiah. I'm saying Meshua. And, I, and I'm, I'm saying these terms. And it's almost like today, even there are some that don't, that observe some of the festivals and that, that the Jews observe and, and they get into some of these Jewish things and they think that they're somehow above some Gentile Christians. So, I mean, it's the same thing that's actually going on in our day and time as well. And as they observe some of the dietary law and go without bacon, I mean, that, that alone is not of God at all. I mean, you can just tell right there that this, they're headed the wrong direction in life with that for sure. But, but here, here it was in Philippi, and they were, uh, they were fitting in a little bit more with the Jews, which also might have had a little bit of just practical nature to it, because if they're fitting in with the Jews, then they may bypass some of the persecution that was coming against the Christians. Might be easier to kind of fit in with them. Rome wasn't taking a strong stand against the Jews like the were the Christians. I'm telling you this here, folks, listen, it's in us as well to try to fit in with those that you think might be the most advantageous to you. I said, it's easy for us to think I'm going to fit in with those that are the most advantageous to us. And so if that is a strict religious group and that's going to advantage me the most, then I'm going to try to fit in with that strict religious group. Or on the other hand, if it's a real progressive, real liberal-minded group, if that's going to advantage me, then I might fit in here. Here's what will solve all of that. What we're supposed to be is Christ-like. And if we have a love for Christ and we do what Paul is saying here, then we're not going to get into some strict religious legalistic minded and, and maybe even legalistic sometimes, hang on, that terms kind of get thrown around to, the, to churches that have standards. And that's not what legalism is at all. Legalism is saying you have to keep the law in order to be saved. And we're, people with standards aren't saying that at all if they're thinking right. So there could be some of that that's going on and, and you could kind of get into some group that, that is posing themselves as the most spiritual group because they do this and this and this and this and they don't do this and this and this and this and thus their life becomes a list of rules. I'm telling you, God never intended your Christian life to be a list of rules. Now there's things you ought not do because you are to be Christ-like. And every relationship generates rules that are, that are appropriate to that relationship. In other words, even as, as I know what, what, what my wife likes and I know what she doesn't like, if I'm thinking straight, I don't do what she doesn't like. Right? If I know what kind of cologne she does like, then I wear that. I mean, this is not difficult. This is just relationship. And she's not a legalist. For saying, thou shalt not wear this, but thou shalt wear this. That's not legalism. That's just relationship. We doing all right? Is this making sense? Yeah. I'm just trying to get along. That's all I'm trying to do. Okay. It's not legalism. That's relationship. So don't confuse the two. 
But Paul was dealing with this and he's hitting it head on here and, and, and he's saying there's something that is driving what's going on. And so he's going to start actually with the solution and then work his way back to the solution. So let's look at verse number one again, as he says, to write the same things to you, to me indeed is not grievous, but for you it is safe. In other words, he's saying this, listen, I know we've already covered this. I'm saying to you tonight, hey, listen, I know some of the things I just said, I've already said before. If you've been around Southwest a while, you probably heard me say something. If you stay around long enough, you'll probably hear me preach a few things over and over again. Why? Because it's safe for us. There's some things we need to hit again. I mean, you say, uh, Zach, Brother Zach, he didn't preach anything new. He preached against temptation. Yes, because we need help against temptation. It's safe for us. It's our safeguard. Hey, listen, listen to me. Listen to me, students. Listen to me, young people. Listen to me, families. Hey, listen, don't, don't get tired of hearing the same doctrines over and over again because it's safe for you. It's for your own good that you would understand what the Word of God says doctrinally and practically so that you don't get roped in and fall into some temptation or to some false belief. It's safe for us. It's good for us to cover these things again, to, to make it clear what we believe and what God has said. And so Paul says, listen, I'm not even hesitant. It's not a big burden to me. I'll go over this a hundred thousand times if I need to, if it'll help you to get it. Because it's safe for you. This is college night. I remember as I was a college and career director I, I, and, and teaching the relationship class and trying to help, help uh, students that do things right and have purity. I'd tell them every year I'd stand on my head if you wanted me to. If I, if I knew standing on my head and preaching this upside down, if that meant that you were going to listen better, I'd do it. Nobody ever asked me to, but I, if I knew for sure it'd make a, a young person keep themselves pure. It's safe for you. Paul says, I'm going to hit this again because it's part of you being safeguarded as the people of God. And, and notice, notice what he says here. He says, rejoice in the Lord. He says, finally, my brother, rejoice in the Lord. He said that earlier. We're going to get, get back to that. Rejoice in the Lord. I, I skipped that unintentionally just in the fury of preaching. I, I want to slow down enough to, to say this. He says, rejoice in the Lord. And listen, that is not an emotion. It's a choice. I'm going to boast in God. I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. I'm going to praise the Lord. I'm going to give credit where credit is due. I'm going to look to him. Does everybody listen to this? I'm going to look to him. I'm going to rejoice in him because he's the one that saved me and made my life stable. And so Paul, before he gets into it, he says this up front. Listen, let me remind you of something. You didn't save yourself, so rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Have confidence there. Don't have confidence in yourself. Because otherwise you're going to wear yourself out trying to get God's favor. And trying to get God's approval in Christ Jesus. You already have it. So he gives a solution up front. He's reiterating these things and he's saying it's safe for them and he's covering it for their own well-being. And thus here's, here's what he does. He just, he just lays it right on the line and he says this, beware of dogs. What does he mean by beware of dogs? Well, I mean, that's real strong terminology. In fact, it's terminology that was used, ironically, uh, by the Jews speaking about Gentiles. And so Paul is speaking about those who were Judaizers. They were Jews and he calls them dogs. Hmm. What do you think of that? 
Beware of dogs, he says. Why dogs? Well, because here are those that, although they are posing themselves as clean, they would be scavengers. Do you realize tonight that there are people that, that pray on members of Baptist churches just like this? And they'll dog your every step. They'll knock on your every door. They'll try to get you to give in to their cult. And, and here he is, he's saying, listen, these are scavengers. These are, they work in packs. They work in packs. They, they're biting at his heels. Isn't it, is it not true that, I mean, really we could say these, these individuals, they dog Paul everywhere he went. They were dogging his every step. I mean, they were, he would get run out of, uh, out of Thessalonica and go to Berea, and then he'd have to run from there to the next place. And what was it? It was the Judaizers. Is those that were saying, listen, it, it was the Jews, and, and then even there was those that were the Judaizers that were saying, if you're going to be right with God, you've got to keep the law. Can you be right with God by keeping the law? Theoretically, yes, but there's a factor that you haven't factored in yet. Evil workers, they were harmful to the church. The, the concision, as you see, look at again at verse number two, the concision, literally the mutilators, the mutilators. And, and what they're saying here, what he's calling them is they were those who were saying, if you're going to be right with God, you got to be circumcised. So they were saying, you got to cut away the physical flesh. Paul says, it's not the physical flesh that's your problem. It's your carnal flesh that's your problem. So he says the concision, I love, I love verse three where he says, we are the circumcision. We, we, Jews and Gentiles alike, we are the circumcision. Here they are saying, if you want to be right with God, you got to be circumcised. Paul says, actually, we already are in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We are the circumcision uh, of, of uh, which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus. In other words, he's saying, listen, our life here is not about an external, external righteousness. It's about this internal righteousness. Is that the law of God is written on your heart because if, if your if your religion, if your faith, if your exercise of the faith is all just an external list of rules or external pressure rather than internal love for Christ, it's just a matter of time until you're not under the right pressure and you'll give in. Hang on, can I, can I just, can I go here for just a minute? Because uh, I wonder if anybody's got to worry about you. I wonder if anybody's got to worry about you. I wonder if anybody worries about you because while you're in church or while you're in college or while you're at your Christian school or while you're in your Christian home, you're doing okay. But, but the law of God, listen, the law of God is, must not just be hanging on your wall. The law of God, the word of God must not just be, but be posted on your screen. The word of God needs to be in your heart, posted on your heart, engraved in your heart, so that no matter where you go, it's not the law itself that is keeping you from wrong, but it's the spirit of God that is working in you to will and do of his good pleasure so that nobody has to worry about you as a, as a husband. Does your wife have to worry about who you're talking about? Or does she know there's something inside of you that's going on that you love the Lord too much to, talk, to flirt with somebody else and vice versa. If you're a wife here today, can your husband totally trust you or is he worried about who you're talking to now? Good. 
Same thing uh, with all the, all the young people here. While, you, while you're in this environment, you're, you're doing great. But what's going to happen when you're out of this environment? What's going to happen when you're on a secular college campus? What's going to happen when, when you're working somewhere and there's not a godly group around you? Are you listening to me here tonight? What, what are you going to do even as adults? What are you going to do when you're not around a, a godly group of people where your, where your Christianity fail right there? If it is, then listen, there's something wrong right there. He's saying, listen, we, we are the circumcision of God, which is in this worshiping God in the spirit, rejoicing in Jesus Christ. Look at the last part of verse number three. We're doing all right. Is this making sense so far? I, I mean, these are not easy verses. I understand that. I wrestled with them all yesterday and today or better part of yesterday and all of today. So you can wrestle with it for about another 15 minutes. Is that all right? He's saying, listen, uh, and have no confidence in the flesh. No, I might have confidence in the flesh. All right, so they want to go there. They, they're saying, you got to do this in order to be right with God, to be accepted with God. You got to keep the law. And, and obviously that is not the spirit of God. Like what Paul said in Galatians, did, you, did, you, did the spirit of God prompt you to do this? No, but that's your flesh that's wanting to do that for recognition, for attainment. And Paul says, okay, if, if okay, he's, he's theoretically speaking here, all right? If God would accept me, Based on my heritage and based on my accomplishments, he should have accepted me. That's what Paul is saying. If God will accept you based on your heritage, he should have been automatically accepted. If God would accept you based on your achievements, he should have been accepted. Why? He was circumcised the eighth day. Some of them had just gotten circumcised in their adult years. He was circumcised as a baby on the eighth day, he said. I'm just reading the Bible. He just got done talking about circumcision. Now he says, okay, so they're saying that to be accepted with God, to be right with God, you got to be circumcised. Okay, if that's the case, I was circumcised on the eighth day. Look what else he says here. Uh, and, and basically what he's doing, it's like he's taking the ledger out. In fact, I thought about bringing out a dry erase board and adding all this up. I'm going to add to this. Okay, I've circumcised on the eighth day. Everybody see it? I'm writing on there. Circumcised on the eighth day. Check. And then he says this. Okay, look, look what else I'm adding up here. Uh, I was uh, of the stock of Israel. I'm of the race of Israel. And I am of the tribe of Benjamin. A lot of people, I mean, even if you could say you're a Jew, not very many people could say what tribe they were from. But Paul said, I can tell you what tribe I'm from. I'm from Benjamin. You say, well, Benjamin had a little bit of a shady background. Hey, don't, don't talk about that. Let's talk about Saul. Saul was from Benjamin, the first king of Israel. So Saul, Paul, talking about Saul, Benjamin is saying, uh, if you want to go there, I've got the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews. In other words, I am a Hebrew to the core. If being a Hebrew is what makes you right with God, you ought to accept me because I am a true blue and white Hebrew. <laughs> and I'm no average Joseph, he could say. Sorry, that was terribly bad. <laughs> I'm no average Joseph because touching the law, I'm not just an average Jew, I'm a Pharisee. I'm like an ultra-conservative. Ultra-conservative Pharisee 
I mean to tell you, concerning zeal, you, you, you want to talk about zeal? You want to compare notes here on zeal? You add up what you've got and I'll add up what I've got. Well, I was so zealous that one time I told a Gentile to do this. Well, Paul would say, I'm so zealous, I killed a Christian. What do you got? You see what he's doing? He's saying, if you really want to go there, if God, he's just reasoning here, if God will accept a person based on their pedigree, based on their heritage, if he'll accept them on that, or if he'll accept them based on their zeal, if people can just be, hang on just a minute, if people can just be real sincere and very zealous, if God will accept people, regardless of what they believe, just based on their zeal, I should be accepted. But wait a minute, what if God doesn't accept people based on how they were born? What if people doesn't, if God doesn't accept people based on, on their deeds, on their accomplishments? What if God doesn't accept even ultra-conservative Pharisees? He says, concerning zeal, I was persecuting in the church. And, and then he goes on to say this, churching righteousness, which is in the law, blameless. In other words, he's saying this, listen, in terms of all that the law was calling on, now he wasn't saying he was sinless because he had to be honest about it. He knew he wasn't sinless. But in terms of the law, to the best of his ability, he, he was saying, in my flesh, in my flesh, I was doing everything I could to achieve God's favor. But on the road to Damascus, God stopped him in his tracks and said, basically this, Saul, you may be from the tribe of Benjamin. You may be of the stock of Israel. You may have been circumcised on the eighth day. You may be an ultra conservative Pharisee. You may be having zeal going up here to persecute some Christians. You may be doing all these things, but you are doing it in your flesh. And listen to this, here's, here's basically what he's saying here. You will never achieve in your flesh that which you can only receive in the spirit. You can't achieve it in the flesh. Because if you could achieve it in the flesh, then surely, if anybody could have been saved by their works, then surely Paul could have been saved by his works. But he's saying this, everything I was doing, it wasn't good enough. In fact, here's what I found it to be. What I thought was adding up to my advantage and what I thought was going to my credit, actually as I added it all up, here's what it came out to be. A big fat zero. It was lost. It was lost. It was all for none. I would have spent the rest of my life doing all those things and still went to hell. In fact, he uses a very strong term in saying that, that it is refuse, it is dung, it is waste, it's worthless. Because you'll never, never, never achieve in your flesh that which you can only receive by faith in Jesus Christ. Because there's only two types of righteousness, either man-made righteousness, which he was really good. I mean, he was a self-righteous manufacturing plant. I mean, Paul was, he was making righteousness left and right. And yet God inspected and said, it's not good. Shut him down. So there's righteousness that you can try to do in your flesh or there's this righteousness, righteousness that you could never in a million years come up with on your own. Righteousness that is pure and holy and righteous and righteousness that is a gift from God that he'll give to anybody who will not work for it, but to anybody who will only do this. Believe. Believe. Because in your flesh, you can never achieve that which only you can receive by faith in Jesus Christ. You know why we're having a friend day? 
Because there's a bunch of our friends that are thinking they're okay because they were born here in this country. There's a bunch of our friends who are thinking they're okay because they were born maybe into a Christian home or had a granddaddy that was a Baptist pastor even. Maybe they, they're gonna play the Baptist pastor card or, or they, they were a member of a church or they got baptized some of them in, in different denom, denominations which were not a denomination, but, but they would say, well, I got christened, I got baptized as a baby and surely I'm okay with God. It's man-made righteousness in all the flesh. It's a fatal miscalculation. I said it's a fatal miscalculation that they're figuring up in their mind. I don't, and I'm not as bad as the other people that are around me. I watch people on the news and they are wicked sinners that ought to go to hell, but not me. God will let me come to heaven. You may have enough morality to keep you out of trouble, but you don't have enough righteousness to get you into heaven. That's true of everybody that is here. The only way that any of us are going to heaven, and I know that the vast majority are based on your testimony of faith in Jesus Christ, and that alone it is by grace. You can't add one thing to grace and it still be grace. It's either all grace, even if it's just one little teeny bit of work, it is no more grace somehow you earned it. And you'll never achieve in the flesh that which you can only receive by faith in Jesus Christ. And he says, that which was gained to me, I counted loss for Christ. In fact, I counted everything but loss. I mean, just whatever other accomplishments, whatever other uh, respect that I gained on this world, I tell you what, it was worth nothing for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. I'm so glad that he saved me. And he forgave me. And by faith, I received the gift of righteousness. And now I'm on my way to heaven. But I also want to just get to know him. I want to know him more. I want to be closer to him because just like the flesh, you can't trust it in salvation. The flesh, you can't trust it in the sanctified Christian life. Because in the Christian life as well, are you still listening to me? Please don't, don't go home yet. Don't go home in your mind. Is everybody still here? Don't go home in your mind because listen, in your Christian life, you will never achieve in the flesh what you can only receive by faith in Jesus Christ. That applies, applies to salvation, but it also applies to the daily Christian life. What do you mean? But Zach preached about resisting temptation. You can't do that in your flesh. Because I tell you what, your flesh likes what you're tempted with. But your flesh also is in conflict because it doesn't want to look bad in public. It doesn't want to be embarrassed. It doesn't want to be brought up publicly. It doesn't want to be shamed. I'm saying your flesh is that way. But I'm telling you, your flesh isn't strong enough. You can't, you can't make it at Heartland. You listen to me, you won't make it in the flesh. You can't make it in the flesh. You haven't read your Bible for your personal devotions in weeks and you're living this Christian life. You're trying to in the flesh. I'm telling you, it's going to break down somewhere and you're going to break down with it. Satan will tempt everybody here, not just Bible college students. Satan will tempt long-term members of Southwest Baptist Church to do good in the flesh because you've been doing this a long time. You feel like, man, I know I've been going to church ever since I was born or born. I was, I was brought into this church. I, I've, been a, I've been here all my life. I know every message that anybody's ever preached and, and I know how this thing works and, and I don't have to hear all that and I don't need to read my Bible because I pretty much got it memorized anyways. 
and you haven't read your Bible in weeks, and you haven't spent real time with God in prayer in weeks, and you haven't been concerned about spiritual things, really. I mean, you're just kind of lukewarm. And here's what ha is happening, though. Satan is tempting you, and your own flesh is tempting you to do good in the flesh, because if he can get you to do good in the flesh, he'll tempt you to do evil. Because you'll let your guard down. Because when you start out in the Christian life, you know it's not up to you. You know it's up to him and you've got to rely on him every single day and you've got to be with him every day. And you know, you know how dangerous your flesh is. And I want to exhort you here tonight, don't you let your flesh out on parole. Don't let it out on good behavior. Well, it hadn't been bad in a while. I haven't looked at pornography in a while. Maybe it'd be all right if I just kind of took a little look right here. Hey, stop! In the power of the Spirit of God, faith in Jesus Christ. Listen, you're either gonna you're either gonna try to satisfy yourself by the achievements of the flesh, or you're gonna trust that Jesus' way and His way is right. Yes. Monday, I spoke in the relation, well, the uh, college orientation class, and I talked to them about uh, Angie and I did did an ice cream Sunday relationship. Young people remember that at camp? We built an ice cream Sunday, started out with the bowl because that's what holds everything together. That's the spiritual part. The ice cream that goes in the next is the friendship that you add friendship because when you get, when you get married, your, your, your spouse ought to be your best friend. And he or she ought to be your best friend before you get married and your best friend after you get married. Friendship. And then the uh, Brother Decker is the one that shared this with us. And here's what he told us as teenagers. He said, you can enjoy one another's company without destroying one another's life. Because in the flesh, I was ready to destroy my own life. You listening to me? It's easy to do that at any age, anywhere. It doesn't matter who you are. You're not above it. Any of us are susceptible to falling. And, and so we talked about the, the intellectual part. And then the... Then the um, then the uh, emotional part and, and saying, I love you and I always want to be here. I'm going to be here for you. I, I'm here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sing to you every morning. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. but <laughs> And then the cherry on top and the cherry on top represents the, uh, the physical part. It's the smallest part of the, of the relationship and it, it's a crowning part. It, ma it makes it a work of art. It's beautiful. But if you build that upside down and you start with the cherry... And we built one upside down and then she added the chocolate syrup and the nuts and the whipped cream on my hand and the ice cream was getting real cold real fast. Saying, oh, we really need to be friends and add this friendship to it. And I'll tell you what we really need in this relationship is God and put that bowl upside down. It's an upside down relationship. That's what the flesh will do. Not my flesh. I, I won't do that. You're miscalculating your flesh. Right, right. You don't understand how strong your flesh is working against you. At whatever age you are, the average age of a young man that looks at pornography is 11. They get stuck right there and then it begins a habit all their life if they don't get control of it by the Spirit of God. Listen to me here tonight. I'm telling you, you can't, you can't calculate your flesh and say, well, my flesh is weaker than other people's flesh. You haven't read your Bible. We all are made of the same stuff. We got the same carnal flesh as anybody else does. You got the same carnal flesh as anybody else does. And so you can't miscalculate your flesh and say, no, I can handle this, my flesh, because I can handle it. No, you're miscalculating it. And you can't achieve. I, if we had the ice cream sundae here, the one that's built right side up, you know, the one that is like, okay, here it is, like a Ruth and a Boaz kind of relationship. Are you listening to me? A Ruth and a Boaz. Remember that, young people? A Ruth and a Boaz kind of relationship. Which kind do you want? A Ruth and a Boaz kind of relationship or Samson and Delilah? 
or Samson and the woman of Timnath, or Samson and the woman of Gath, or Samson and the woman of whoever else. Which, which one do you want? It's a no-brainer. I want this kind of relationship. Well, listen, you cannot achieve in the flesh that which you can only receive in the Spirit. You got a problem at work, and you're going to try to take care of that problem in the flesh, and give that person a piece of your mind, and, and, and give them what for? And then you're going to go around and tell everybody else how you did that? It's all in the flesh. And you'll never achieve in the flesh that which you can only receive by faith in Jesus Christ and with the help of His Holy Spirit. It's a choice you make every single day. I'm either going to handle life in the power of the flesh or I'm going to handle life in the power of the Spirit. And I'm submitting to you tonight, it's a, it is very clear that the best way to go about that is like what Paul is saying. And don't let others that have already proven it. Paul's saying basically this. Oh my word. He's saying this. I've already been down that road in the flesh. I've been long way down it and it's a dead end. I'm coming back to tell you it's a dead end. Don't turn. It's already closed. You know what will help you if you're driving? You see somebody else turn in this driveway and then they turn around and come back out. What do you do? Same thing. Well, it was closed for them, but it won't be closed for me. It's a dead end for you, just like it's a dead end for them. Smart thing to do would be to save yourself some time and say, you know, it's a dead end for them. I'm not going down that road. That's good. Because you'll never achieve in the flesh that which you can only receive by the Spirit of God. Faith in Jesus Christ. Let's pick it up there again, okay? I think we need a little bit more of this. Let's stand together. <clears throat> Why have a friend day? Because our friends are living in the flesh every single day. Why have a friend day? Because they're miscalculating things and thinking that they're good works or thinking that they're religious exercises are somehow going to merit God's forgiveness and favor. Why well, have a friend day? Because they'll spend all of eternity apart from Christ, just like Paul would have had God not intervened in his life. Why well, preach a passage like this? Because we also struggle with the flesh just like those. And Paul was writing to believers and saying, listen, don't listen to those that are trying to tempt you to live life, even the Christian life in the flesh. You've got Jesus Christ. He's all you need. Just like the choir sang a moment ago, He's what you need. Oh dear God, would you help us tonight? The flesh works against every one of us individually. And then even collectively, it can work against a church or it can work against a Christian school. It can work against the family. It's worked against our nation. And we're caving in. We're decaying because we're giving in to the appetites of the flesh. God, would you help us? Help us to see, dear God, how that we can never achieve in the flesh that which can only be received by the Spirit of God. Whether it's a relationship or a, a closeness with you, dear God, we can't do that in the flesh. So we submit to you by receiving the Spirit's help. And I know there's more that could be said there about what that looks like. I just pray that you'd help us, Lord, to get it and understand it. Lord, I pray that, that Lord, the members of Southwest, young and old alike, would not live out their Christian life based on outward pressure of a parent, of a church, of a preacher, of a school. But God, I pray that it would come from the heart, that relationship with you, that they rejoice in Christ Jesus, our Lord. In Jesus' name I pray.
Amen.